Welcome to Engaging and Empowering School Libraries, a podcast that aims to raise the profile of school libraries by talking about topics that are current across education and teaching. Today, Daryl and I are continuing our monthly chat, Fossil Education and School Libraries. We hope to help you engage with the content on the Fossil Group website, introduce you to people who are using Fossil in schools, but most of all, just have a conversation about the role of the school librarian within education. So thanks for joining me again, Daryl. I hope you're well. Yes, good thanks. And you, Elizabeth? So we ended our last discussion with Douglas Knight's two major and unique functions of a library, regardless of type. Can you remind us of those two functions and what are the implications of these for the school librarian? Um, so, um, as you, you you said, um, Douglas Knight, um, as part of the um, um, presidential commission into school libraries, uh, that team identified two major and unique functions. The first one is that it makes possible meetings of mind and idea uh, that are not limited by our normal boundaries of time, space, and social or economic level. Um, so obviously that function has implications for the collection. Yeah. Um, and then he said uh, the second function is that it is the institution in our society which allows and encourages the development or the extension of ideas, not their passive absorption, but their active generation. Um, and then bearing in mind that this was written in 1968, he goes on to say, the technical means of this encounter may be a record, a tape, a film, a printout, almost radical of all a book, Libraries are not bounded by means. Um, they will and should employ any means to achieve their ends. Um, so again, that has uh, implications for the collection. Yeah. Um, but he then goes on to say that um, libraries cannot achieve those ends. So they cannot perform those two functions uh, for the illiterate, or the indifferent. Uh, so literacy clearly is important, but again, from our perspective and in terms of inquiry, um, what we've spoken about over the last couple of, of sessions is in the, the indifferent, um, which again brings us back to the, um, the point of connect um, to engage students in the learning process. So he says li libraries then are dependent on teachers, writers, parents to set the interest alight, but they are the means for meeting that interest and giving it range beyond those who first stirred it. So this is already now, I think, beginning to suggest um, that the library cannot function independently. So, so, so in the school, the library cannot function independently um, from people outside of the library. It's uh, pointing to a collaboration. Right. Um, so teachers, writers, parents, to set the interest alike, um, the means for meeting the interest and giving it range beyond those who first stirred it. This creative center, which is the library, should not be defined by the adequacy of its space, equipment, and collections alone, 
but by the adequacy of its people. Those who first teach the mind to inquire and those in the libraries who can show it how to inquire. The librarian of today and tomorrow must have many technical and professional skills, but above all, they must have skill with people. They are a teacher whose subject is learning itself and their class has no limits on age, field of study, or degree of competence. That's massive. Yes. <laughs> but actually, um, I think we've used that that phrase before, um, the teaching of learning, that library, that's what librarians are. But we used another phrase a little while back, which was something like, um teachers of uh sense making skills yes um so very similar in phraseology i suppose um and it's trying to sort of bring that together isn't it is the fact that your collection doesn't matter how ma how amazing your collection is if if nobody accesses it it doesn't matter how um good your skills are at talking to students if there's no link and connection with the curriculum because because without that connection without that bringing the library into the curriculum there's there's no way immediate way forward you're almost working in a bubble that is not possible and I think so. I think this is this is the thing that we've lost because actually the reason the reason why I ended up looking at because um, this is from the forward to the report that the committee produced. Um, so the, the the whole reason why I dug up the report was because I had encountered that quotation um, about the librarian being a teacher whose subject is learning itself. Yeah. And I was wanting to put that into context, which then um, brought up those two major and unique functions of the library. Um, and I think this is actually the thing, the thing that we've lost. So by definition, um, the library is a meeting place of mind and idea. Yes. Um, well, if it isn't, it should be. Exactly. So I think the problem is that um, we, we've lost sight of that. So it's not just that, um, because he, he, so he says that the, um, the means for that encounter of mind and idea is the collection. So the, the collection, and, and, and that's, what we were, that's what we were speaking about before, is that if we view subjects in school as windows on the world as ways of of understanding the world then our collection in an age-appropriate way needs to make the knowledge that those disciplines or those subjects have gained it needs to make that accessible um, to students in an age-appropriate way so that is the point about um the the the, the non-fiction being in subjects 
Um, but those aren't little um, containers. They aren't yeah. little boxes um, that we put books into. Uh, what he's reminding us of here is that uh, the, the the books that are on the shelves, the, the, the material that we have in our collection, um, our concern with that is the knowledge and the ideas that they contain. And what we are doing in the library is that it firstly um, facilitates a meeting of mind and ideas. And of course, that, that also includes fiction. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because this brings us on, on to talking really about library collections and, and how they're created and what the importance of them are. Uh, and a lot of school libraries these days have gone down the route of um, expanding their fiction collections and narrowing down their non-fiction collections. Now, some of that... <clears throat> now, we've had a conversation... <clears throat> about this before and I think there's a podcast on it so I will link it in the show notes um I can understand why school librarians go down that route based on the majority of students the majority of teachers believe that the school library is about fiction and reading for pleasure <clears throat> and in the non-fiction world area very often non-fiction sits on shelves and doesn't get used um so i suppose the the conversation needs to go down the route of um our non-fiction you know you've always said that sh it should be at least 50 50 no um, more, more. 70, okay 75, I, I 75 25 i would say okay as to non-fiction rather than fiction okay 75 25 that's a big number so how do you how do you so i suppose we need to talk about collection development and that obviously has to in a, in a 75% non-fiction ratio has to fit with the curriculum otherwise those books are going to sit unused um is it about collaboration and conversations with teacher in the curriculum how do you make sure that students themselves walk into the library and actually start taking those books off the shelf because I have been into many many school libraries where the non-fiction literally sits and goes dusty what's the technique what's the way to encourage students to want to come into your library to take a book off the shelf that either they've been told that is there because of the curriculum but more importantly just because they want to learn something new so so this this is a very difficult thing mm. that we're talking about and um it, it is a long-term thing yeah and I, I think the, the problem is because we have lost sight of certain things, uh, we've, made, we've made it very difficult for ourselves, I think, to recover what we've lost. Yeah. So um, the, 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 the two things I think we need to be clear about at the beginning is if we aren't clear what the the function of the library is. 
So what is the purpose of the library? What is its function? So um, you can assign many different functions to the library, but I would argue that by definition, um, at a certain point, a library can cease to be a library and be something else, even though we still call it a library. Yes. So coming back to what Knight said, um, the library is a meeting place for mind and idea in the collection. Yeah. But it's also the extension of that idea. So it's a place where um, our students are encountering ideas and they are taking those ideas and making those ideas their own. And doing new things with them. Okay. So that then ties to the second bit, which is if you view the library in that way, then you have to view the librarian in a certain way, which is why he then says that the librarian is a teacher whose subject is learning because this encounter of idea that becomes your own idea and you make more of that idea than it was that is learning. Yes. So unless we see ourselves in that way, and unless we see the library and its collection and its equipment in that way, um, then we don't devote, I think, sufficient time and attention and resource to developing that. But we have to go back to the fact that if you're in a school where the library is not seen that way, what are the first steps to making those changes? Is it building up your collection? Is it engaging in a different way with your students, engaging in a different way with your your teachers? Where where's what's this? You, you know, you've just said it's a it's it's a big journey that you've got to go on. Where what's the starting point? So the starting point has to be, does the librarian see themselves and their library in that way? So if they do, then it has to work on two levels at the same time. So um, he makes it clear that the, the library cannot perform its function independently. So there is a sense in which we are dependent on teachers, we yeah. are dependent on parents. Um, so we have to build relationship with colleagues and other stakeholders outside of the library around a different understanding of what the library is and does and a yeah. different understanding of what the, li the librarian is and does. The second thing is, um, so it's out of that collaboration where he says um, the, 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 the librarian collaborates with those who, who first teach the mind to inquire. Um, and then the library and the relationship with the, the, the librarian becomes um, how they inquire. Okay. So in building relationship with colleagues outside of the library about learning through inquiry, 
um, we then gain insight into what our collection. So, so that guides our collection development. Okay. So an understanding of what it is that children are learning at what age and that go, needs to be reflected in the collection. Does that go beyond looking at the curriculum plan? Do you know, you could, as a librarian, find the curriculum plan for year seven and and then spot that history is doing X and science is doing Y. Um is it, you know, do the two work together? Is your conversation with your science teacher saying, I can see that you are doing X and then start talking about inquiry and then start talking about the collection? You know, where how do you build up this? Because 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 teachers need to feel that they're talking to an expert. You know, we know librarians are experts. They don't always, well, we all feel have imposter syndrome, don't we? You know, if if we've got a librarian whose main function for the last five years has been to sit in the library and encourage children to read for pleasure and increase literacy, what can we say to that librarian that will change their attitude, help them understand their expertise and make them start having those conversations? So, <laughs> you haven't got an answer. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not sure that we necessarily can. No, okay. Um, because it, it's the same, it's the same that we have said before with colleagues outside, classroom-based colleagues yeah. are going to, are always going to be more or less sympathetic to an inquiry-based approach to teaching and learning. So in any school, you will find teachers who will be open to approaching what they are doing in a different way or who may be doing what they're doing differently already. Nice. Um, and you will find teachers who will have a more didactic approach. Yeah. Um, so, so I think. So are we, are we trying, sorry, are we trying to focus then on librarians who are already wanting more? The ones that do you know, we, 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 the two of us, talk to lots of librarians who are trying to make those inroads into the curriculum through inquiry. Um, is there a way that they then, if, if you know, what's that? There's a, uh, if we get my numbers right, 20, 20, oh, 40, 40, 20 rule or something. That's that's 100, isn't it? Um, so 40% of people, or 20% of people, you're never going to change their minds. 40% you've got, you know, wanting to work with you and, and, and engaging with you. And they are important because they're part of this wave, this journey to change in difference. It's the middle 40 that are not sure are the ones that we can influence and make a difference with. And I think 
it's important that we have we're having these conversations because it's those 40 that 40 percent that are listening thinking i do want to make a difference i do want to change things my collection is good as far as i can tell i'm trying to have conversations with teachers but it's not quite there yet I suppose it's those librarians then, the ones that aren't that that want to be pushed, that want to be engaged, but are hitting that barrier of um where the school doesn't understand, the teachers don't understand what it is that they're actually doing, and being approached by the librarian is actually surprising. You know, it how do we talk to those librarians then, I suppose? Um <clears throat> So, I don't, so there aren't any quick fixes. No, no, there aren't. And I think so. If I if I reflect on my journey, um, I think I started sharing what it was that we were doing when I was at Oakham School. Yeah. And I think it's very easy for people to say, "Oh, yes, but at Oakham School, you had a big library." Um, you had a big team, you had a big budget, um, of course you, but when I started as a school librarian, I was job sharing yeah. um, with an amazing colleague called um, Jean Warwick. Uh, and the only reason why we had so I, I I had no knowledge and no experience of a school library other than having used one as a, as a student and as a teacher when I first moved to England as a teacher, um, wanting my students to learn how to learn for themselves with help. Yeah. Um. So the, the, the only reason why we had a handover period, she did the morning, I did the afternoon. The only reason why we had a handover period was because she stayed half an hour late and I arrived half an hour early. Nice. So I was working on my own. Yeah. Um, I then moved from that school um, and was a solo librarian for three years while running a boarding house. Yeah before moving to Oakham. Yeah. My job at Oakham, as far as I was concerned, hadn't changed in the least. Um, but the resources that I had at my disposal changed. Mm. So the starting point has to be um, how do I view myself and my job. Absolutely. And then how do I balance competing demands? Yes. So say, for example, um, if my collection is 75% fiction, 25% nonfiction. Yeah. Or possibly even 50-50. Yeah. Um. Am I becoming more knowledgeable about my fiction collection or am I becoming more knowledgeable about my nonfiction collection? Well, your fiction collection, obviously. Yeah, yeah probably. <clears throat> um, so 
so so these are the so these are the kinds of questions that I think we need to ask ourselves is um how interested and excited am I about the content of my nonfiction collection that, that's an interesting one yeah because I it is definitely um you can see that that if you talk to many librarians about fiction, they they have a lot of knowledge. They can tell you, you know, and recommend and and talk about. I can't say that I could have that same conversation with many school librarians about a non their nonfiction collection, because it has become smaller and smaller. Yeah. So why? So why, as a librarian who is responsible for a nonfiction and a fiction collection, mm. why? Why is it not my responsibility to have a similar level of knowledge about not the books? <laughs> it's the content of the books. I mean, I I, um, I have less and less time to um, spend time on what used to be Twitter. Um, and I am absolutely amazed at how many colleagues... Um, have read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fiction books yeah, and can talk at great length mm. um, with great passion. Now, that takes time. Yeah, it does. Um, and, of course, I can engage my students um, effective, more effectively as a consequence of doing that. So is it any surprise then if I don't have a similar level of interest in knowledge of and passion for my nonfiction collection, yeah. that I can't, uh, I struggle to engage students and teachers mm. about the, because it's not just about the books. It's not, it's <clears throat> not saying, um, I know that in year seven, in this subject, they are studying this. And I've got three books that have that in the title. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. Because it's facilitating the meeting of mind and idea through the collection. Yeah. Now, clearly, many passionate, talented, dedicated colleagues can do that for fiction. Yes. But I'd be amazed if there were many who could do that for nonfiction. So the so so the so um, we're talking about motivating people to action. Yeah, I just cannot see how we can justify the cost of a school library with all that that entails. If we are not as interested and excited and as enthusiastic and as competent on the non-fiction side as we are on the fiction side because the library again and it comes back to that the library by definition particularly in a school must be directly focused surely on learning teaching and learning Okay, so let's let's go back. You said something really interesting about it has to come from the librarian and and you know you the own it has to come from yourself. 
when you are moving forward. And just like you, um, I ended up in schools library service with very little knowledge of school libraries. Um, I knew that there was something more, but I wasn't quite sure what it was or how to find it. I went down the information literacy framework. I thought that there was something there, which then led me to end up meeting you. And I think I think at that moment, I began to understand what it was that I was wanting to do and wanting to engage with our schools with. But nobody was going to do it for me just because I had this knowledge wasn't going a teacher wasn't going to walk up to me and go, oh, Elizabeth, <laughs> you now have something that you can share with me. You have to have those conversations, don't you? You have to be brave enough to go. I have found something that is for us now fossil that that I really believe is important for you and your teaching and your students. And I can help not only in the facilitation of this framework and help you learn how to use it, but but I also have a collection of resources that that will meet your students' needs to learn. And I think, you know, really right at the beginning, that's, it's scary. It's like, why will this teacher even think that I know what I'm talking about? But you've said this to me before, is that the more you talk about something, the more a knowledgeable you become because you're discussing it. So, so just for example, these conversations between you and me, it pushes me to think more broadly, more deeply, more um, purposefully about what it is school librarians could and should be doing. But if you never have these conversations, if this is all just in your head, if this is just, um, you know, you're waiting to, to do something, but you're not sure how to do it, the only way to do it is to start talking, isn't it? And um, it's how you then inform yourself. Because... Um, Absolutely. Okay, that's a good I one. instinctively knew... Well, so there are almost certainly um, a large number of people who may very well disagree with me, probably would disagree with me. Um, but I instinctively knew <clears throat> that the library had to be more than this. Yeah. It had to be. Um, and I needed to understand what this was um, and how I became that and how I made my library into that um, in a more or less supportive environment. Um, so we're talking about the fact that, that school librarians need to start learning. Yes. They need to start engaging. They need to start understanding. And, and, and that was my journey too. Yeah. I began to read. I began to learn. I began to research. I began to find out what this was all about which then enables you to talk about it it's it's yeah it's not osmosis is it <laughs> no. and so 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 already we we are highlighting a number of um important shortcomings mm. so in the education and training of school librarians um so say for example um i've done an ma 
uh, Jenny's done an MA <laughs> in librarianship. Was there any school library specialization component in that MA? No. Um, so there's a, a, a massive gap. I think had, had I, for example, I think if I were, if, if I were to go back in time and were to do a master's now, well, if I were to go back in time and do a master's, I would have done it at an American university, a Canadian university or an Australian university, because I would have spent the two years learning about how to make an effective contribution to teaching and learning in, in my school, which would include the recreational reading as well. Yeah. So um, the cost in terms of time, money, and what I actually gained from it um, would have been much better spent doing something online uh, at a university in, in, in one of those countries. Yeah. So so ultimately, though, even school librarians with a degree, with a master's, which many have, haven't been taught how school libraries run and, and can run effectively. So we now are playing catch up, aren't we? It's UK librarians, especially. Um So there is a learning curve to be done and training to be provided, which turns nicely into a little bit of a <laughs> plug for my own membership. But I do feel it's really important that that school librarians know and understand that they're not on their own, that if they are interested in this journey of discovery for themselves, then they need to find their clan, their group, that are moving in the same direction. So I want to take a few minutes to introduce Engaging and Empowering School Libraries, a transformative training membership designed exclusively for innovative school librarians. If you're a school with a shared passion for fostering collaboration between teachers and librarians across all subjects, then I extend a warm invitation for you to join me on this remarkable journey. My mission is simple yet powerful, to empower school librarians through comprehensive training and unwavering support by equipping them with the necessary tools and knowledge. I help them enhance independent learning, elevate literacy levels and nurture overall student well-being through the incredible resource that is their school library. By joining my community, you'll embark on an exciting adventure alongside like-minded individuals who are equally committed to educational excellence. Together, we will explore a unique learning experience that embraces innovation and encourages the growth of your students. So for more information about this extraordinary opportunity, please visit the link provided in the show notes below. And don't miss out on the chance to be part of this um, empowering initiative. So obviously we are we are gonna bring this conversation to a close today. I think, can we just sort of, we touched on how difficult it is for school librarians to, to get started. And we've talked about, you know, the fact that they need to learn and be encouraged to talk. If you had to give, 
if you have to give a, a librarian who's sitting here listening to this conversation thinking, okay, this is something that I am interested, where would you say is the is their starting point? What would you say? How how do they find where they need to to learn about what they're doing next? Puzzled you again. <laughs> I think the so the the advantage that we have um, is that I I stumbled into school librarianship in two thousand and three. Um, I developed fossil in a recognizable form by two thousand and eleven by figuring out a lot of stuff for myself the hard way and making lots of mistakes and um, dead ends and in order to share more effectively the lessons that we learned, um, I was fortunate that we were able to establish the fossil group in 2019. Absolutely, yeah. Um, the thing that I'd like to point out about that is it, it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of work on top of everything that needs to be done in a busy library. So that, so that's the case for everybody Absolutely, yeah. to reflect on what we're doing and share it in the forum. Yeah. Um, so that takes a lot of discipline and it it takes work. Yeah. But so that so so the two things that are 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 critical is we have only improved what we are doing by in the way that we have by taking the time to reflect on what we're doing enough to be able to share it. Yeah. Absolutely. Regardless of whether anybody reads it or not. Yeah. And secondly, um, what has become more and more important for us is that everything that we have posted in the fossil group forums and the resources that we've created, um, that is a portfolio, a public portfolio of the work that we are doing that we can refer colleagues, interested colleagues to. Yeah. Um, we can refer senior leadership to yeah so uh jenny and i are in the process of putting together our annual report for the um education subcommittee of governors so the annual report um that is linked to the library development plan and budget submission yeah so it is amazing how much of the stuff that we are putting into that report we are, are able to pull from stuff that we have reflected on and um, shared publicly. And that becomes a very, very powerful advocacy tool. So there is, there is both knowledge that has been recorded yeah as well as people who are on a similar journey yeah 
And the idea of the fossil group was that that was meant to be a shortcut. <laughs> uh, yeah, for anybody. Uh, absolutely. And and so anybody listening, your first step is to go and look at the fossil group website, especially the forum. Um, if you are brave enough, then then we welcome your thoughts. Um, if you read something that you don't understand, if you read something that you have an opinion on, you think, you know, we are we are open, aren't we, to to discussion because that's how we all learn. And, and other people's ideas are, are equally important. So if you are listening and you want to know where to go, then then the Fossil Group website is that is your starting point. Um, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much for joining me again, Daryl. Um, we hope anybody that is joined us today and has enjoyed listening to this fossil podcast as always you would uh, we would like you to comment on anything you've heard we'd love to hear from you don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out on future discussions thanks very much for listening <laughs>